Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we approach your word and as we continue our study of the book of Romans, I just pray that we'll take what we've learned through your wonderful word and apply it to our life on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you're turning in your Bible to the 14th chapter of Romans, let me remind you that Paul in the 14th chapter is addressing both the strong and the weak believer in how they should treat one another in church. And he is dealing with a couple of potential problems with believers. As believers try to deal with their past in pursuit of their life with Christ. And so you have the weak Jewish convert who can't let go of worshiping on Sabbath, Saturday Sabbath. You have the weak Gentile believer who is offended by eating meat that was previously offered to idols. And both groups in their pursuit of God are dealing with their past. And Paul is instructing both the strong and the weak believer to consider one another. And so much so that he's saying that our rights and our liberty should be sacrificed to keep a fellow Christian from stumbling. And so we find ourselves in our focal passage, which begins in the 19th verse, but I want to start reading at 16. So we'll look at Romans 14, 16 through 23. And Paul wrote this. He said, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he who does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith, is sin. So as Paul is telling us to defer our rights, to defer our liberty 
if we are around a weak believer, and this is centered around food, and the example that I gave last week is, is that we would not, even though it's our right and our liberty, if one chooses to drink alcohol, one should not drink alcohol if they are around an alcoholic. That would be considered sin. You defer your right. You defer your right if you're around somebody who came out of alcoholism and gave their life to Christ. You defer your right because you don't want to cause that person to fall. And I'd like to point out that he tells us here in our focal passage that we should edify one another. And so here in the chapter, he's dealing with, the, with food issues. He's dealing with Sabbath issues. But I would argue that these things, in the, yes, they're extremely important, but they're symptoms. They're symptoms of a lack of growth. Now, we're to defer until that person grows. But we are to be concerned, both pastor and lay people, concerned about our brothers and sisters in their spiritual growth. In their spiritual growth. And he says we should edify one another. Now, Strong's expands the definition of edification this way. The act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. So, as he tells us that we're accepted by God and man, if we are living our life concerned about our fellow brother and sister in Christ... I'd like to point out that we shouldn't be surprised by this. That we are to edify or promote our brothers and sisters' growth, spiritual growth. As I've stated before, Christianity is not a solo sport. And unfortunately today, too many people look at Christianity as this idea of, yes, I have an individual faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I come on Sunday, and I participate individually, and I leave individually, and I've got this wall here of my faith, and my faith is exercised here at Mill Creek, here in these walls, and then I go home, and I'm back doing my own thing. That's not the Christian view. And in fact, if you look at 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4, Peter wrote, Coming to him, Christ, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, 
elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone in a stone of stumbling, in a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you, referring to Christians, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, it says we are a people of God. It doesn't say we are a person of God. People, plural. It says that we are being built into a spiritual house. That we too are a stone, but we are being built into a house. I remember my folks built a new house. When I was a kid, my granddad was a contractor. He built the house. My mother, after she got finished, said she'd never want to build another new house ever again. And I've heard people say that. But let's think about that. It says that we are being built into a spiritual house. Now, when you build a house, where does the house begin? It begins in your mind, right? begins in your mind. This is the type of house that I would like to have. This is the style of the house I'd like to have. This is the rooms that I'd like to have. This is how big of a house I'd like to have. It begins in the mind. And in fact, next for us building a physical house, then what happens? It translates into paper, right? We call that a blueprint. And then it goes into a blueprint. This, okay, so you tell somebody this is the house that you want to have. And then the architect or the contractor draws a blueprint. And this is your plan. And it has to work out structurally as well as how you would like to look at it. That's how we build a physical house. And there's a purpose in every room in that house. And there's a purpose in every doorway and every window. There's a purpose as we build a physical house. Same thing for a spiritual house. There's a purpose. It says that we are being built into a spiritual house. We're individually, we're stones, and we are being built into a spiritual house. Which, if you're going to be built into a spiritual house, it means that you have a purpose. As we come together, there is a purpose. Now, if I'm going to have a purpose, if I'm going to have a purpose in the spiritual house of God, it means that I have to have some functionality in my existence. You as well. And God gave us each individual gifts to function within the spiritual house. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, as Paul deals with the spiritual gifts of the church at Corinth. In verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 12, he goes, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. There are many members, yet one body. So this church... 
as well as any church, we come together collectively representing our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are many, but there is one body. We are the body of Christ. This body exists. It says, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice in it. In other words, we have been given gifts. We have purpose We have reason to be within the body of Christ, and that is to edify and support one another. Christianity isn't a solo sport. It is a team sport, and we're here to do a job that God has given us to do. That's why in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens And so fulfill the law of Christ. We're a functioning body. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a functioning body that has care for one another. Now, how does God do that? In Matthew 16, in his conversation with Peter... In reference to Peter's faith, Christ said in verse 18, I also say to you, are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's the church. It is the church. Now, I'm going to say something, and if I offend you, I'm sorry. But I am not an ecumenical person. I have great jealousy for this church, as everyone should have, regardless of what church they go to. When people get together, with different denominational beliefs, and especially in today's world, all you end up with is confusion. Because, can you imagine, right now, is people from different denominations gather together, and you have denominations that are okay with women in the pulpit, they're okay with homosexuals in the pulpit, they're okay in having a weak stance on LGTBQ. And so you all get together and say, oh, isn't it nice? All of us Christians are all together. Define Christianity for me. Now, you may find that offensive. But Christ says, I am the way. And right now, with ecumenical gatherings, 
Christ is a way. It's your definition. It's not the biblical definition. And the biblical definition has to stand on truth. And this church stands on truth. And I will guard and be jealous of this church because I will stand for truth. And if somebody wants to stand and say that they believe in homosexuals in the pulpit or LGBTQ, we'll have a deep conversation on whether or not they really know the true Christ. Because there's no shadow in that whatsoever. And so as we come to gather as believers, believers that believe in the truth, Christ has established his church to be the messenger of his truth. And as he calls us together, we are to be concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ into where we edify, we support the spiritual growth of believers in this church. In Ephesians chapter 5, Starting in verse 25, it says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. By the word. And that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but they... She should be holy and without blemish. In other words, God has a purpose. God has a plan. That plan, that purpose was to call you out of darkness in the light, to turn you as a stone and to be put into a spiritual house, to be equipped with gifts so that you might edify your brothers and sisters in Christ. My friends, you and I are in this together collectively. We're together collectively. And being collectively together, we need to support the spiritual growth of one another. With grace, not out of legalism. But my friends, we should all have a desire that you and I grow together. And we do that within the confines of the church. And it's important that we're all here because in Hebrews 10, 24, it says that let us consider one another in order to, to do what? to stir up love in good works. That's edification, isn't it? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love in good works and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. In other words, we need to be here and we need to be encouraging one another. I remember when I was a kid, it became really popular as church attendance started to wane for people to say, well, I can worship God anywhere. I can worship God anywhere. It doesn't matter. And I remember I grew up at a place where we lived 15 minutes between two lakes. It was wonderful, especially if you love to fish. So naturally, where I grew up, Lots of men had bass boats. And I remember my pastor getting very frustrated because he would go to visit somebody and say, I haven't seen you in a while. Well, you know, it's okay. 
I've been out at the lake, I've been fishing, and it's okay because I can worship God anywhere. Well, you can worship God anywhere, but you can't edify anywhere. In other words, your purpose, your spiritual purpose, your plan, is that God has called you out of darkness into light, not so you can keep your heavenly ticket to heaven in your pocket, so then you can do whatever you want to in life, and then you stand at the pearly gates, and then you wave the ticket, and here I am, I can go in, and I can exercise my ticket, and I'm okay. That's not the gospel. In fact, if you think about it, it's a really sad view of the gospel. It's a sad view of the gospel. Because see, the biblical gospel is, is that God calls us out of darkness into light. He transforms us. He changes us. Through his sanctifying power, we grow in his wisdom and his grace. And we move more and more towards holiness until that day that we stand before him and we're made complete. It's not instantaneous. It's a process. And that process is accomplished within his church. And unfortunately today, the church is struggling tremendously in filling the church with young people because for the last 20 or 30 years, we've said, you can worship however you want to. You can worship however you want to. It's okay. Christ doesn't ask anything of you. You're going to keep your heavenly ticket in your pocket. You're going to exercise it when you get to heaven. There's really no other purpose for you to be here than to you have some kumbaya moment where you sing some mindless praise songs that say the same words over and over again like a Gregorian chant. And you have this feel-good worship time, and the stage looks like a nightclub, and you kind of relive those youth days of if you were in the youth group when you were growing up, and then then you get to go home. That's not church. That's not the church that Christ gave his life for. It's not an individual action. It's corporate. And there's a purpose. And that purpose is, is that we come together and we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. In other words, God uses each and every one of us as we discuss theology and as we discuss his word and as we discuss what's going on in society and we take the things that are happening in society and we bring that here to both Sunday and Wednesday. And if you really want that type of discussion, I'd encourage you to be here on Wednesday as we discuss society and how it relates to the Word of God and how a Christian should act within society today. We're sharpening each other. We're sharpening one another. It's the plan. It's what Christ gave His life for is the ability for you and I to come together and to have this goal and this desire for people to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The more we think of 
our body of Christ here acting together as a group that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're here for a purpose. And we're here to be a witness here in our community. The more that you and I will find joy in peace, in happiness, because we will be doing those things that God planned for us to do. You know, it's a problem when you look at churches today that are large churches and you see an unbelievable amount of staff. It's not unusual to have churches that have a hundred, a hundred and fifty, two hundred people in some type of staff position. You've got the executive team that's made up of fifteen to thirty people, and then you have a lot of people that are getting paychecks. I would argue that there should be few people getting paychecks in a church. And the reason why you have these huge staffs is because the congregation doesn't want to use their gifts to promote the edification of the saints. It's easier to put the money in the plate and have somebody else get their hands dirty. That is not what God called us to do. God has called each and every one of us with a spiritual gift to be exercised within the body of Christ. And when we exercise that, does that come with bumps and bruises along the way? Absolutely. There's a reason why it says, don't grow weary while doing good. It comes with bumps and bruises. It comes with frustration. But it also comes with joy and peace and happiness. It's wonderful to see people that have the desire to want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. And we should be consumed about that here. We should be consumed that not only our fellow members grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we should be consumed that we see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then they come within the church and then we collectively work together so that those members are being discipled. Great commission, right? Great commission. And it's not one person's job. It's all of us looking and knowing that we have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ for a special purpose. Each of us have been equipped, and we should have a love for one another that we grow in his grace and knowledge. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your truth, and we pray that we would have a passion for people to grow in the wonderful truth which you've given us. I pray, Lord, that we would be passionate about the church. We'd be passionate about your gospel. That we'd have a desire for people to come to a saving knowledge and then 
Watch them grow in maturity in your wonderful spiritual truth. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone listening who does not know you, that they'd come to a saving knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.